Um, I, I don't know what the school was like uh, where you grew up. I, I was a public school kid and, uh, you know, grew up my entire school career in public schools. And uh, the way that schools were when I was a kid was uh, kindergarten through sixth grade was elementary school. And then seventh, eighth, and ninth was junior high. And then you had 10th through 12th was high school. And, you know, I can remember being in sixth grade. It was Lakeside Elementary in Orange Park, Florida. And uh, Lakeside Elementary was right next to Lakeside Junior High. And when you were in sixth grade, uh, you were positioned in a, p- a spot on that campus where you could see the junior high. You could see the, the big kids, you know, the older kids over there, hear the bells dismissing them from class as they would go to their lockers. You see at Lakeside Elementary School, we didn't have lockers. We kind of went to homeroom, kept all of our stuff in our homeroom, and you kind of stayed in that class most of the day. And we would just sit there and talk about what it was going to be like, man, next year when we're at junior high. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be in seventh grade, you know, and it was like we were just attaining for that. And then I remember my time came. Finished sixth grade, I went through the summer, and I'll never forget, like, the night before I started seventh grade. Uh, my wife, Amy, loves when I tell this story. She just loves to laugh at me. She's like, you were such a nerd. I'm like, yeah, I know, I was such a nerd. And it's so funny to tell this story because it's not really like me, but something just, just it, like, flipped in me before I started seventh grade. All these, like, uncertainties began to just settle in on my heart. <laughs> All the newness of what seventh grade was going to feel like compared to sixth grade just felt like this weight coming down on me. You know, in sixth grade, I didn't have to go to a locker. I didn't have to remember a combination for a locker. I didn't have to carry different books, you know. In seventh grade, the schedule was different every day. Monday, Wednesday, Friday was one set of classes. Tuesday, Thursday was a different set of classes. I would start in homeroom and have to go all the way across campus somewhere else. And all of these different details just kind of started to sink in on me the day before school started. And I'll never forget, you know, I don't, know, I don't remember, how, how old are you in seventh grade? Anybody know how old you are? Like 13, is that, is that right? 12, 13, yeah. So I'm 13 years old, and, and I remember lying in bed before I started seventh grade the night before, and I could not sleep. And it actually set off that first night before I started school, set off this like sequence of nights where I would lie in bed and literally just go through my whole day in my head as though it was like this plan. I went something like this. I would lay in bed and go, okay, when I get to school, I'm gonna, I rode my bike to school. I'm gonna take my bike and lock it up. And then I'm gonna go uh, to my locker first because I have time and I'm gonna put away my science book and get my social studies book. And then I'm gonna go to homeroom. As soon as the bell rings, I'm gonna leave homeroom. I gotta go all the way across the campus to social studies. When I'm done with that class, I've gotta go to my math class. I gotta make sure I have my math book. Oh yeah, I gotta get that in my locker. Okay, that, and then after math and the bell rings, I've gotta make it back to my locker before I go to lunch because that's the only time I'm gonna have to exchange my books before I have to go to band in the afternoon. Yeah, I was in band. And then I'm like, okay, I got to go to bed. It was like, and I would lie in bed and just play through every single scenario of the next day. And I remember, I don't know how long I did that, but it had to be at least for a month because I remember that just marked the beginning of seventh grade. And all of that, you know, I look back on it now, and it, it, it's kind of funny. Like my, my wife laughs at me when I tell that story. She's like, I can't believe you did that, you know? And I'm like, but it seems silly now because I understand that the things I was afraid of were so trivial, Like they were petty. They didn't really amount to much, right? Like big deal if I forgot the wrong book. But what was happening is I was beginning to play out all these what if scenarios in my mind. No, man, what if I take the wrong book to the wrong class? Or what if I leave my homework in my locker? Or what if I forget my locker combination? Or what if I leave my lunch in my locker and I got to go to lunch? And like all these things would just go through my mind. What if, what if, what if? And now I look back and they all feel so trivial. But here's the thing about anxiety. Anxiety and worry. Anxiety doesn't need to make sense in order for it to feel serious. I mean, I wonder how many of us have been there. Things in our life that 
even though logically we know this is not that big of a deal, but for some reason it gets this grip on our mind and our heart, and we find ourselves spending wasted time fretting over, obsessing over things that really in the long run, anybody could look in and tell us that they don't matter. I think the word that we're gonna look at tonight, I'm gonna read read it in just a minute, but it, it is so timely in our culture. You know, anxiety, people are using words like epidemics and crisis when it comes to our culture and anxiety. A study came out just back in May uh, by the American Psychological Association and the American Psychology Association. And um, what they studied, what they said that this year in 2018, 40% of Americans say they feel more anxiety this year than they did last year. Last year, they said that in 2017, 37% of Americans felt more anxiety than they did in 2015. So it's like not only are more people feeling anxiety each year, but more people are feeling anxiety than they did the year before. It's consecutively just growing. It's like this upward trend that anxiety seems to be on the rise everywhere that you look. The American Psychology Association, same organization, they have this uh, national anxiety score where they look at the trends in our culture and they rank us as a nation on how we're doing in dealing with anxiety. And the scale is zero to 100, zero meaning, hey, we live in total peace and tranquility and we're great, 100 being like, oh man, things are like going crazy, it's like nothing's good. And, and what they say is that, that America, for the first time since they've been keeping track of this scale, America has crept past that halfway point. And now we are higher than 50 on the anxiety scale In other words, what that means is that on average, Americans spend more time feeling anxious than they do not feeling anxious. That on average, Americans feel anxious more than they don't feel anxious. And here's the thing, the things that cause anxiety, the things that all of us can connect with, right? Things like the top five causes are safety, finances, relationships, health, and politics. And here's the thing, some of you may have been diagnosed with something like general anxiety disorder. You may experience panic attacks. But here's the thing, it doesn't require a diagnosis to know what worry and anxiety feels like. All of us have been there. All of us at some point have worried about something, felt anxious about something, or obsessed over some thought. And it's this state of humanity that I think Peter writes into in 1 Peter chapter five. He wasn't just writing to followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago. I believe when he wrote the words that he writes right here, he writes right into the heart of the culture and the age that we find ourselves in right now. So let's look at what Peter has to say. 1 Peter chapter five, starting in verse five. Uh, The first half of this verse may sound strange. I'll tell you what he's saying. He said, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, this is connected back to the thought we looked at last week. So if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the teaching on elders out of 1 Peter chapter 5. That's kind of what, what Peter is addressing there. But listen to the second part of verse 5. Now he's speaking to everyone. He says, all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, that last verse is the one that obviously connects with anxiety, right? He says, cast all of your anxiety on God because God cares for you. But I think it's fascinating that before Peter gets to even addressing anxiety or talking about anxiety, for some reason, he connects it to this teaching on humility, 
Now, teaching about humility is nothing new for Peter. Uh, really what he's describing there, he says, listen, in verse five, he says, all of you should clothe yourselves with humility. Peter is just continuing his discourse on the posture of followers of Jesus. We've talked about this all through this letter as we've walked through it this summer, that Peter keeps hitting on this idea that, listen, when you follow Jesus, you enter into this posture of submission. And we're not gonna talk a ton about submission because I spent a really long time talking about submission in 1 Peter chapter two and three, where we talked about submitting to government and slaves submitting to masters and husbands to wives and all this crazy stuff that Peter says. If you wanna listen to that, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast um, from a few weeks ago. But here's the basic thing that we said about submission and what it means uh, for Peter and for the biblical writers. That submission is this idea of voluntarily lowering oneself for the sake of lifting up somebody else. So when Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility, he's just, he's just hitting that same old bell that he's been hitting over and over again. He's going, guys, this is what it means to follow Jesus, that we voluntarily lower ourselves, make ourselves lower so that somebody else can be lifted up. He says, all of you should clothe yourselves with that kind of attitude. Reminds me of what Paul says in Galatians chapter three. He says, listen, when you're baptized into Jesus, you are clothed with Jesus. In other words, when people look at you, they don't see you anymore, but they see all the goodness of Jesus around you. Peter says, clothe yourselves with that same mindset of Jesus where you are willing to lower yourself so that others can be lifted up. But why in the world does Peter uh, connect this idea of being humble, of submitting ourselves, with the fact of casting our anxieties on God. And here's what's fascinating, you know, I don't know what version of the Bible you're reading, I read from the NIV. Um, NIV and the ESV both put a period between verse six and verse seven. So that it almost looks like it's a separate thought. You know, verse six, he says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up, period. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But that's not really how Peter wrote it. Uh, one, Peter didn't use periods, uh, so they had to use, look at the tenses of words to try to figure out the thought there. And literally what it reads is he says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The thoughts are directly connected that for Peter, for some reason, the idea of humbling ourselves is connected to this idea of experiencing anxiety and needing to cast that on to God. Here's, here's why I think this happens. You know, Peter understands that anytime you make the choice to die to yourself, to lay your own interests aside, your rights aside for the sake of somebody else, there's always going to be this nagging thought that comes in. Yeah, but what about me? I'm supposed to lay down my life for my bride, for my family, for my kids, for my wife. But when I come home and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I know I'm supposed to serve them and Jesus is saying, Aaron, clothe yourselves with humility, there's this nagging thought, yeah, but what about me? Who's gonna serve my needs? Who's gonna take care of me? And that just begins to open the door for all kinds of anxious thoughts to begin to creep in. Because the moment we begin to be concerned more about our needs than the needs of others, then we're beginning to doubt God's ability to take care of our needs when we take care of others. And so we start going, yeah, but who's gonna meet my needs? And we're questioning, we're, we're worrying. I mean, yeah, but if I, if I lay myself aside, well, is, is my wife gonna reciprocate? What, what if I go home and serve and she doesn't serve me? 
And once we begin to entertain those kind of anxious thoughts, it just like throws open the door for all those what-if scenarios that used to keep me awake at night when I was in seventh grade. Then when we try to think about serving other people, isn't it true that sometimes we get caught in all the what-ifs? Yeah, but, but what if they're not kind back to me? Oh, God wants me to give up time during the day to spend time with him, but yeah, but what if I miss out on something because I choose to spend time with God or you know, what if I miss out on something because I choose to give myself to something that he's inviting me into for the sake of other people? And you know, sometimes you don't even have to, you don't have to go looking for these what ifs. I think about something that happened in our life recently, you know, a little over a year ago, my wife and I entered into the journey to begin to adopt a child. And we're still on that journey, still in the process of waiting for God uh, to bring our child home. But, you know, over the last year, we've had a lot of conversations with people about adoption. And just recently, a woman, a good, good, dear friend of ours, a woman who loves the Lord, she came to Amy, and I believe Amy's my wife, and I believe she came to her with good intent, but she began posing all the what-if questions. She said, Amy, have you thought about what if you get a child that is mentally unstable? What if you get a child that's kind of crazy? What if you get a child that's physically disabled? What if you get a child that hurts one of your kids? What if you get a child that? What if you get a child? It was like, what if, what if, what if? And you could just kind of feel the anxiety and the tension beginning to rise up in us. You see, so often anxiety or concern about the what ifs paralyze us from stepping into the things that God's inviting us to by clothing ourselves with humility and walking in the posture of Jesus. You know, there's a... Uh, there's a study that came out from Cambridge last year. Everybody's talking about anxiety and what we do with it because the truth is anxiety is just like ramping up all over. And we could spend all night talking about the causes of it. And there's a study from Cambridge though that, that came out just last year, 2017, and they said, hey, did you know you can cure anxiety with science? that you can deal with the anxiety that you feel with just some scientific understanding. And they went and they laid out kind of four things that if you'll just do these things in anxiety, you will find liberation from anxiety. And what was amazing is that all four of those things were connected to walking with Jesus, although I don't think they would have said it quite that way. And you know, one of the things they said is, hey, you need to learn how to embrace forgiveness and you can be liberated from anxiety. Hey, you need to be okay with not doing everything perfectly every single time, which is what it means to kind of come to Jesus humbly and powerless and understand we need him to do it for us. But one of the things that they said, they said, listen, one of the things to get rid of anxiety is find purpose in your life by helping other people. And I was really struck by that because it sounded so similar to what Peter is saying right here. Peter's saying, humble yourselves. Think about others before yourself. They said, here's how you get rid of anxiety. Find purpose in your life by helping other people. This thinking says, hey, if you are experiencing anxiety or worry or stress in your life, then the way that you can get rid of it is trying to seek to live for other people. But if you start to lean into that and then you look at this text, you're gonna find yourself kind of caught in this little trap. Because Peter says, hey, listen, you should lower yourself to live for others, and anxiety may, is probably going to come in when you start to do that. And this says, hey, if you're experiencing anxiety, try to live for others. But when you try to live for others, anxiety comes in. And when you have anxiety, you should try to live for others. But when you try to live for others, anxiety comes in, and it just begins to feel like this never-ending cycle that we can never quite break ourselves free of. And it's into, into that cycle that Peter speaks these words. He says, cast your anxieties unto God because he cares for you. He cares for you. The invitation is not to live for ourselves, but for others with a recognition that often this means letting go of our own comfort, which means that sometimes anxiety is gonna creep in. And Peter says, listen, I know that's gonna happen because I've been there. 
And I want you to understand what you do with your anxiety. You cast it on God, cast it on God. Now that sounds simple. Uh, some things that sound simple to do are often hard to kind of carry out. And so I wanna give us some real practical ways, some tangible ways of what it looks like to cast your anxieties onto God, to take them off of your own shoulders and to throw them on to Jesus. So I'm gonna give you four things and then I'm gonna give us some time to practice this tonight, okay? I'm gonna walk through these four things really quickly and then I'm gonna kind of give us a chance to, to try each one. The first one is this. The first thing of casting your anxieties, one, we have to know this, that casting your anxieties, number one, is a regular rhythm. It's a regular rhythm. Isn't it true that all of us kind of want that silver bullet? We all want that magical thing that's suddenly gonna take away all stress, all anxiety, all fear, all worry, all doubt. But it just doesn't really work that way. And you only need to look to Jesus to understand this. Jesus said, hey, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. But don't fear, because I've overcome the world. I love what Psalm 68 verse 19 says. Psalm 68, 19 says, praise be to the Lord God Almighty who daily bears my burdens. Daily. This idea of casting our anxieties onto God, it is something that we do every single day. Every day we wake up and we're reminded that I need to take the anxieties off of my shoulders and put them on the God. So the first thing you have to understand, I don't have a magic bullet for you tonight. I don't have anything that's gonna immediately kill anxiety, but what Jesus offers is peace in the midst of anxiety, and that comes with a regular rhythm of casting your anxieties onto him. So the first thing is it's a regular rhythm. The second thing is this, is that you have to begin to recognize. Recognize the source of anxiety in your life. I think about times in my life where I feel overwhelmed, I feel completely swamped. Sometimes there'll be things at work that are stacking up, and I don't know about you, but if I have just two or three things that feel like they're stacking up, everything begins to feel like a big deal. And I'll come home and I'm thinking about the project that I'm working on at work, or I'm thinking about something that's going on with my kids, and then my wife will ask me to load the dishwasher. And it just feels like, I can't do that. I've got so many other things going on. It just feels like this little thing sets me off, right? Have you ever been there before? And in those moments, uh, sometimes I have these times where I have to sit down. I'm like, why am I so on edge? Like, oh, it's because there's only like three or four things that are causing me anxiety, but everything else feels like a big deal. And so this is just a regular rhythm of recognizing what is actually causing you stress or anxiety in your life. Write it down. Write down the sources of anxiety in your life. That's the action of recognizing. The third thing is to release it. Once you recognize it, you don't just sit there and hang on to it and obsess over it. No, but you release it to Jesus. And this can look a variety of different ways. Sometimes it's writing it down and then just holding, literally holding out what you've written to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need to hand this over to you. Please give me your peace. But releasing it just goes, now that I've written it down, I, I, I'm not gonna let anything else rest on my shoulders. I'm releasing it to you, Jesus. So you've, you've realized it's a daily thing. You've recognized it. You begin to release it. And then the fourth thing after you release it, you remember. You remember all the promises that Jesus has made to us. I think one of my favorite promises of Jesus is when he says, hey, my peace I give to you. In John 21, he shows up to the disciples, he breathes on them, and he says, hey, my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. This is a promise of Jesus that even in the midst of anxiety, he will whisper and breathe his peace over us. And so it's a regular rhythm, a daily handing over of our burdens, recognizing the places of anxiety, releasing them to Jesus, and then remembering the promises of Jesus. 
And so here's what we're going to do tonight. Um, at every communion table, I've got some cards that look like this, either this size or maybe a little bit smaller, and they're a stack of pens. And I'm just going to give us some time uh, for everyone to go get as many cards as you need, and you're going to practice these things. Now, we can't really practice the regular rhythm just on one night, so you're going to have to do that one tomorrow or the next day or the next day if anxiety is in your life. But we're going to begin by practicing the recognize, the release, and the remember. And so uh, I'm going to invite you to, to go get some cards, get as many as you need, and on each card, write down one thing that you're recognizing that's causing anxiety in your life. One thing per card. And when you're done writing about that thing, switch to the next card and write whatever you need to. And you can write as much or as little as you need to about each source of anxiety in your life. And then we're gonna practice releasing that to Jesus and we're gonna remember over communion. And I'll walk you through each one of those, but I wanna begin just with that step of recognize. So everybody stand with me. Everybody stand with me. I'm gonna pray over us and I'm gonna send you, go get a card or two or three or four or five, however many you need and a pen and you can move chairs, you can sit wherever you'd like and I want you to spend some time just recognizing. So Lord, we come to you. Father, whatever is causing anxiety or worry or stress, we bring it to you. Lord, right now, would you give us clarity to recognize whatever the source of anxiety may be. May we have the courage to write it down, even if it's just one word, and help us, Father, to be able to name what is causing angst within us. Lord, come and lead us through this. In your great name we pray, amen. So I invite you to make your way to the communion table, grab a card, grab some pens, take some time to write down the sources of anxiety in your life right now. I wanna encourage you to take as much time as you need to just continue recognizing, writing whatever you need to. We're gonna to start to transition into just kind of a time of releasing this and remembering. And here's what we're gonna release it. You know, this is really simple and really basic, but sometimes it's just the physical act of letting go of something that helps us to remember that Jesus takes it. So in a minute, I'm gonna invite you to bring your card with you, cards with you uh, to the communion table. And at each communion table, you'll see a, a basket that looks something like this. And as you come to the table, we're gonna approach the table where we take the bread and we take the cup, it is a reminder of the body and the blood of Jesus. And as we come to the table of grace with Jesus, we trade in our anxiety for the peace of Jesus. And so I just wanna invite you to come to the table, bring your cards, drop them in the baskets, get the bread and get the cup and remember, remember the promises of Jesus. That as you release anxieties into your hand, he says, my peace I give you, my peace I give you, my peace I give you. This is not something that we do alone. So I wanna encourage you, um, you know, when you're ready, uh, as you go to the table, as you drop the cards in the basket, get with somebody else, get with two or three more people. And if you're able to, share some of the things you wrote down so that you can pray for one another. It's a big part of us walking through this journey together. So I'm gonna pray. And then again, you take whatever time you need to, but when I'm done praying, you know, I just invite you whenever you're ready to bring your cards to the table release them into the basket, exchange it for the peace of Jesus, and then let's get together and commune, and Will will come up and lead us in more worship in just a little bit. Lord, we, we come to you right now, and we've been just recognizing and writing down the things in our life that cause unrest, that cause stress, that cause anxiety. 
And Lord, as we write those things down, I know sometimes when I write them down, I'm just reminded of how powerless I am to be able to change some of these things. And yet, Lord, I fix my eyes on you. And I want to literally just cast it all onto your shoulders. Thank you for the promise that you care, that there's nothing too small that we've written down that is too small for you to be concerned about, that you care about our lives. So Lord, as we come to the table, as we release these things, would you just give us that reminder that you give your peace freely and graciously. And as we partake of your body and of your blood, would you be here in our midst and would you let your peace just rest on us? We love you, Lord. We come to you. We cast our anxieties on you because you care. In your name we pray, amen.